Teach your children well, sings Cossack Stills, Nash and Young. That's exactly what all of us, including the Jefferson County Public School Board member, Corey Schultz, wants to do. Teach our children well. Welcome, friends. We are Forward Video, WFMP LP 106.5 FM. You are listening to Solutions Balance, a program sponsored by Forward Video. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host today is Jamie McMillan. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests, not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending us an email to solutionsabalance18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today's Solutions to Balance guest is the Jefferson County Public School Board member, Dr. Corey Scholl. Dr. Scholl is a lifelong champion of public education and his record of community service underscores his advocacy for a strong, diverse, progressive JCPS system. He is the father of Zoe and Harrison. Corey has served on the JCPS Facilities Committee and the Behavior Support Alternative Task Force. He has participated in the Flash Dads and mentors JCPS Middle School Boys program for the past eight years, Corey created and led the Teen Summit Enrichment Program, which offers a, a mix of academic instruction and cultural enrichment. He also serves as the coordinator of an annual college tour, giving high school students the opportunity to visit college campuses and personally connect with counselors, students, and staff. Dr. Scholl holds degrees from Fisk University and Louisville. Presbyterian Seminary and holds a Doctorate of Transformative Leadership from Colgate-Rochester-Crozer Divinity School. He is the pastor of Burnett Avenue Baptist Church in Fern Creek. Dr. Shaw, welcome again to Solutions to Violence. Thank you. Dr. Shaw, for those concerned about public education, the years 2021 and 22 have been tumultuous, to say the least. School board meetings across the country have turned into political battlegrounds. The Jefferson County Public School Board meetings are no exception. Large groups of parents and political advocates have attended public school board meetings demanding that COVID masks mandates be lifted, which, by the way, are being required again in JCPS this year because Kentucky COVID cases are on the rise. Demands also include that in-class learning return and public schools stop teaching critical race theory. Let's begin with critical race theory. As an issue, the University of Louisville Law Professor Cedric Powell on Solutions to Violence program explained that critical race theory has to do with the history of litigation. Professor Powell explained that, and I'm quoting here, critical race theory has to do with structural inequality and systemic racism and continuing effect of racism in the society through its laws, its institutions, and practices. Cedric Powell explains that critical race theory is taught in upper-level university history classes and in law school, not in high schools. Are Jefferson County Public School teachers teaching critical race theory? And if not, why are some accusing teachers of teaching critical race theory? Well, the simplest answer is no, public school teachers are not teaching critical race theory. Professor Powell would be correct. 
in stating that critical race theory is a discipline that one would expose to if they were in law school. Predominantly, I was first introduced to critical race theory in a political science class on the campus of Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, while I was undergoing my undergraduate work uh, toward that degree. And my exposure to critical race theory in that political science class was cursory at best. It simply informed me that it was out there and it was a way in which lawyers and those who have sought to identify ways in which race impacts justice, the ways in which race is sort of encoded into our laws and into our structures that prevent Black people and Brown people from being treated equally in in courts and in other spaces where the law is, is uh, adjudicated. Dr. Scholl, the, the Kentucky State Legislature recently passed Senate Bill 1, SB 1, sponsored by John Snickle and other Republicans, now law, impedes the teaching of African-American history, Native American history, and the teaching of the LBGDQ and women's rights movement in our public and parochial schools. SB 1 is a comprehensive bill, but an American Civil Liberties Union article titled, quote, Statement Regarding New Classroom Censorship Law, Senate Bill 1, end quote, penned by Samuel Crankshaw, explains, quote, Senate Bill 1, a bill to censor discussions between teachers and students and hold teachers criminally liable for violations, end quote. The Crankshaw article goes on to state, quote, Senate Bill 1 will not only censor students and teachers, but will also dictate what materials teachers use to cover history. As Governor Bashir noted in his veto message, quote, these texts are not selected by historians or scholars, but by a political body, end quote. One of the required text is Ronald Reagan's 1964 political campaign speech, quote, a time for choosing, end quote. First, is government censorship of the kind that is embedded in SB1 constitutional? Does it meet constitutional standards? I would say no. I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not an attorney. Uh, they would be better versed to discuss what meets the standard for constitutionality. But there is an effort among many of the conservative political persuasion to rewrite history, to tell only one part of the story, and often that part of the story is not true. It, at best, it's not holistic. And so, you know, why are they doing this? Well, they have an investment in not being honest about the trajectory, the history of this nation. And uh, I, I think much of it, too, is sort of a backlash against the, the fact that we had a Black president uh, for eight years. And there has been all of this sort of all of these attempts to tell a different American story than the American story that we know is true. Fascinatingly enough, the more attention that conservatives give to these matters, the more interest is, is created in actually reading true versions of history and exploring the facts through which our nation has been developed. Much of this comes in opposition to the 1619 Project, 
Of course, Donald Trump was the leading voice against the 1619 Project, saying that it was untrue. And there have been efforts to undermine the scholarship included in the 1619 Project. And so much of legislation that we see now concerning CRT, concerning attempts to censor what is taught in classes is a direct outgrowth out of the Trump movement and this movement among conservatives to whitewash history. Well, as a JCPS board member, what's your position on politicians in Frankfurt dictating to JCPS teachers what they can and cannot teach in the classrooms? What's your position on that? I think Frankfurt politicians should do their jobs, which they don't do very well, and stay out of the business of trying to tell teachers who are professionals, who have been trained, they should stay out of the business of trying to tell them what to teach. Many of those lawmakers in Frankfurt would do well to sit in the classes with many of our teachers in JCPS to be exposed because clearly they miss their history classes. Dr. Marty Polio, superintendent of Jefferson County Public Schools, stated on Kentucky Senator Gerald Neal's podcast, Straight Talk, that Jefferson County Public Schools system opposes Senate Bill 1 and, and has no intention of policing JCPS teachers in order to determine if they are following the letter of this law as it relates to teaching history. Do you support JCPS administration's decision, first of all, and, and as, uh, as it relates to teaching history, and uh, government, or should the JCPS administration police its teachers to make sure they they stick to teaching basic skills? Teachers teachers teach basic skills, and I, and I know from curriculum, having taught for thirty years, that that is part of what we do or did, what I did. So, where are you on this? I support wholeheartedly. Uh, Dr. Polio and the administration in opposing SB1. We do not need to waste time policing teachers, policing those who stand in our history and government classrooms and expose our students to the truth of this nation. We do not need to spend time policing them at all. Thank you. Senate Bill 1 also removes the power of student, uh, school board-based decision-making councils. Uh, these are known as SBDMs, and it places that authority in the hands of the superintendents. Before Senate Bill 1, SBDM councils had the authority to hire new principals, and now only superintendents have that power. Do you believe SBDM councils should have that power to hire principals, and, and why? Well, on one hand, I do think that there is great value in the voice of SBDMs. I do think that SBDMs should have input in who will lead our schools. I also am in favor of the superintendent having more influence in placing principles. Too often in many of our schools, the SBDMs have been hindrances to including culturally relevant curriculums. They've been in opposition often of uh, racial equity policies. And I'm concerned that in some schools, they may perpetuate some of the attitudes that the district has worked hard to rid itself of. So while I do support SBDMs and their input in selecting principal, I also think it may be a good thing that Dr. Polio has more authority in deciding who will ultimately lead these schools. In our interview with Diane Porter, board member, she I, I understood that uh, her to say that uh, Dr. Polio does have that, is it an ultimate decision, but he does work with SBDM councils and, and school principals. 
as right. much as possible. Is that your understanding? Yes, yes. I think that the SB1 may shift a little bit as to whether or not he has to work in tandem with SBDMs, but I think Dr. Polio has shown himself to be a cooperative leadership leader who uh, is interested in the voices of stakeholders. Okay, so Corey Schuler, there was an article published July 14th, 2022, in the Career Journal. It was penned by Morgan Watkins and Olivia Kraut. The title of that article, quote, Judge Rejects Limits on JCPS Board, end quote. It explains that the Jefferson County Circuit Judge, Charles Cunningham, has declared that the portion of SB1 that limits the power of Jefferson County Public School Board is unconstitutional and therefore unenforceable. The Curb Journal article explains that SB1 would have, quote, shifted the day-to-day authority over Kentucky's largest school districts to the superintendent and capped the board one meeting per month, end quote. The CJ article, penned by Watson and Kraut, quotes Diane Porter, who states, quote, the ruling confirms our assertion, the Charles Cunningham ruling, confirms our assertion that parts of SB1 unfairly and unconstitutionally singled out Jefferson County and would interfere with our ability to represent the interests of the citizens and students in our school district, end quote. So why is the right of the Jefferson County Board of Education to approve of decisions made by the JCPS administration so important? The JCPS board hires and fires the JCPS superintendent. If they're not happy with the decision the superintendent is making, can't they just refuse to renew his or her contract? Yes, yes. The superintendent does report to the board and the board does have hiring and firing responsibilities as it relates to the JCPS superintendent. So why is it so important to, or maybe you think it's not, to the JCPS board that they have input in decisions that are made by JCPS administration? Well, I think it's important because every board member is elected by, you know, give or take a little bit, a 100,000 person constituency. Every district has about 100,000 people in it. Some have a little bit more than that. And they hear those people's voices. The members of the board are in their schools. They are, you know, in conversation with principals and with school-based personnel. They understand what their families need and what their families are demanding. And therefore, their voices are critical in shaping policy in JCPS because they bring voices that help to ensure greater inclusivity, that help to ensure that we're actually meeting the needs of our really diverse community and all of those children who come into our buildings Monday through Friday. So Diane Porter and Judge Cunningham believe that the Republican state legislature are arbitrarily singling out the Jefferson County public school system. What evidence demonstrates that decision made by Kentucky Republican legislatures are arbitrary and why do they want to single out JCPS? Well, it is arbitrary because much of the legislation that they file is targeted at JCPS and it does not impact other districts throughout the Commonwealth. This is seen over and over again with uh, repeated pieces of legislation that is antagonistic in, in nature and really unnecessary many times. It's often promoted by people who have not stepped foot in Jefferson County. They've never walked the halls of our schools, but they have outsized opinions 
about our school system and they filed legislation uh, targeted at weakening the public school system here in Jefferson County. And while they weaken Jefferson County's public school system, they often sow controversy and so forth that keeps uh, JCPS mired in really unproductive controversies rather than aiding our attempts to educate the 95,000 children who are students in our schools. So let's change directions here. The Jefferson County Public School System has changed the student assignment plan. The new assignment plan will give students living in Louisville's West End a choice. They can either continue to take the school bus to a mostly white school in the suburbs, or they can choose to attend their reside school in their neighborhood. April 18, 2022, the Louisville Courier Journal published an op-ed, quote, JCPS promise of Brown versus Board of Education is slipping away, end quote. The article, penned by the University of Louisville political science professor, Dr. Dewey Clayton, Dr. Clayton states, quote, polio is really offering black students in the West End a Hobbesian choice, taking what is available or nothing at all. Why do black students alone bear the task of desegregating JCPS schools, end quote? Clayton believes that the new assignment plan will resegregate the Jefferson County public school system. Then Clayton stated, quote, the absence of interaction between white students and students of color leads to negative stereotypes and misconceptions about their behavior and status, end quote. If the new JCPS student assignment will resegregate the JCPS population and end an opportunity for racial diversity, considering the fact that this research demonstrates that segregated schools create division between mostly white majority and the minority of color, shouldn't JCPS come up with a student assignment plan that would create a diverse population? What would that integration plan look like? Well, it would include making the participation of our white neighbors in the East End a priority. You will not achieve diversity in schools without having to insist that people in the East End participate in those efforts of diversifying schools. And the facts are that white people in the East End are not interested by and large, in participating in that effort. That integration has, since 1984, has been on the backs of Black people from the West End. And all too many people in our community, in the Louisville community, are comfortable with that fact. And quite frankly, as it related to the student assignment plan, there just wasn't an appetite to fight white East End residents in inserting any type of requirement that they participate in the student assignment plan. As it relates to resegregating schools, our schools are already largely segregated. When we talk about choice, you know, that is a positive element, although it has its limitations. And we did all that we could to place resources into this plan to ensure that wherever those families choose to send their children, that they'll receive a strong education and that they'll have all the needed wraparound services. But Louisville is not really interested in overcoming its issue with segregation. It's just not a priority for far too many people in the city. 
that would be my answer to that question. I could say more. I do think that there are merits to having diverse classrooms. Some schools in District 6 are quite diverse. I think of Okalona Elementary School that has a beautiful array of children from different backgrounds. I think of Slaughter Elementary. I think of Indian Trail Elementary. Those schools are quite diverse. Uh, when we get to the East End, we start to see that diversity decreasing. In the West End, far too many times, uh, we don't see much diversity. And that is because there's not much commitment to have children do what they did prior to 1984, which is children from the East End and children from the West End were robust in equal proportions uh, to ensure those diverse classrooms. And since that time, our community has continued to segregate and our classrooms all too often follow that same pattern. You know, the, the argument, Corey, to that in some ways is that we're putting the onus on students because so many of them are bused from one side of the, the, the county to the other. And it, you know, it, I'm not sure the balance is, 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 is equal in terms of black and white, uh, but I think that's the argument is that the students are, are bearing that difficulty. What's your answer to that? Yeah, you, you are you are correct. It, it has been, the onus has been on the backs of black students from predominantly the West End. That has been the case since 1984. And, you know, my answer is that as it was before, until the community as a whole becomes interested in diversifying our schools, not just racially, but also economic, we're going to see this stark segregation of schools and classrooms. There's another element to this too, I guess, and there's uh, also some changes in JCPS magnet program. What will the changes in the magnet program mean for, for black students? Well, hopefully it will create more opportunity for black children to have seats in the magnet program. We hope that in some of the magnet programs that we increase seats for the students who live around those schools in order to make our magnet programs more diverse. The JCPS plans also to build two new elementary schools and one new middle school in Lowell's West End. Tell us about those those new schools and, and how will these new schools benefit African-Americans? Well, they feed into the promise of choice. So it gives the, the elementary school, which is being built now, uh, of course, is the combining of two schools in the West End and they'll occupy together a brand new building just like what just happened this week in uh, District 6 in Newburgh. Gilmore Lane, Indian Trail, three years ago were merged into one building. And then just this week, Indian Trail and Gilmore Lane, all of those students went together into a brand new building. That same scenario will happen in the West End next year. And the additional schools will provide more seats for students in the West End. Let's talk test scores. An article published by WDRB-TV titled JCPS Test Scores Show Little Progress. Achievement Gap Widens Among Student Groups, end quote, demonstrates a persistent standardized test score gap between the mostly white students from mostly middle-class families and the mostly black students from mostly working-class families. A quote from WDRB-TV article states, 
quote, indeed, the district's achievement gap between white and black students increased to 29.4% this year from 28.4% last year. The data shows that just over 58% of white students scored proficient in reading and math, while only 29% of black students did so. Talk about the JCPS plan for improving the standardized test scores for African-American students. Will new school buildings and school choice do the trick, or is there a need to change instruction, perhaps diminish the student-teacher ratio? What's your thoughts? Yeah, so no, I don't think new buildings will answer that problem. I don't know that choice will answer that problem. I do believe that the resources that JCPS has allocated for the choice zone for AIS schools will begin to address this huge issue that we're seeing read the achievement gap. I think also JCPS establishing the Elevate Centers in the West End, in Newburgh, in the South End will help us to begin to close the achievement gap. I also believe that there must be more attention placed on aligning our curriculum, the work that students are doing day in and day out with what they will be expected to know on standardized testing. There's a lot of conversation about standardized testing and whether or not it should continue to be a reality in public schools. And I follow those conversations. I understand the arguments. My concern is the fact that students are in schools today and are expected to take standardized tests today. And if those students are expected to take standardized tests, I believe that we ought to give children the best opportunity to be successful on those tests. And, and at this juncture, one of the barriers to that is the lack of standard-based grading in, in, many of our, in many of our classrooms, in many of our schools. We believe that by implementing standards-based grading, standards-based learning, that we give students a greater opportunity to achieve successfully on a standardized test. Beyond that, uh, I do think that culturally responsive teaching will help in closing the achievement gap, will pique the interest of more of our students and really help our educators speed children up and cause them to perform academically in, uh, in higher rates of success. Let's talk about the relationship between behavior and standardized test scores. An article titled, quote, University of Louisville Research, Gaps in Student Achievement and Discipline Go Hand in Hand, end quote, penned by Liz Schumer, using research conducted in 2017-2018 school year. Quoting data taken from the first six weeks demonstrates that, quote, 59 suspensions for every 100 black male students, 32 suspensions for every 100 black female students, 17 suspensions for every 100 white male students, and only eight suspensions for every 100 white female students, end quote. The data clearly demonstrates that black students make up the majority of students suspended in the JCPS school system. The Schumer article also, quote, found that when achievement gaps were wider between white and black students, so were the racial differences in suspensions and expulsions, and vice versa, end quote. They also found, quote, found that when one gap decreased over a two-year period, so did the other, end quote. So the research demonstrates that when suspension rates decrease, maps standardized test scores measure academic progress increase 
how does JCPS reduce suspension rates without sacrificing safety or jeopardizing classroom structure? Yeah, well, I think efforts to do that are underway. I know they are underway as we try to find, as we try to implement restorative practices within our buildings, as we seek to introduce new techniques to de-escalate behaviors in our school buildings with the goal of keeping students in classrooms and keeping them focused on their schoolwork, keep them focused on learning. I think there also has to be a de-emphasis on uh, some of the things that we have historically focused on in some of our buildings that don't really equate to ensuring uh, that our students are learning. I think that we have to begin to de-emphasize those things to keep students focused in the learning environment. And, and by doing that, I think that we'll achieve higher rates of success via MAP scores and, and so forth. Uh, a strategy designed to reduce conflict now being implemented in JCPS schools is called restorative practices. Restorative practices does not focus on punitive techniques, but requires the offending party to take a, make amends to, uh, for, for, let me say that again now and make sure we understand restorative practices does not focus on punitive techniques, but requires the offending party to make amends for the damage he or she has caused. Restorative practice requires both the offending party and the offender to work together to resolve their conflict. As you know, restorative practice developed from legal concept now called restorative justice, but how is restorative practice working within Jefferson County system and, and do you support it and what would it do to influence suspension rates? I definitely support it. I do believe it's influencing suspension rates. I think it works depending on who is implementing it. Jefferson County system and, and do you support it and what would it do to influence suspension rates? I definitely support it. I do believe it's influencing suspension rates. I think it works depending on who is implementing it. So there are some schools that implement it and it works wonderfully. There are other schools that don't implement it as well. And I think much of that has to do with the teachers and, and the staff, their buy-in to restorative practices. I have been in spaces, I've seen uh, restorative practices at work. I've seen the process play out with students and quite honestly have been impressed at the outcome. So I do think it, it, it bears much potential for decreasing the suspension rates in our school buildings and also providing students a greater uh, feeling of belonging in our buildings. I think I should also say that this is one of the this is one of the distinctives of the public school system. We can't just put everybody out. There's there's often conversation in the community where people say, well, you know, children should just be expelled. If they don't do this, they should just be expelled. Well, we we can't we can't really just expel children legally. Children have they have a constitutional right to an education. And along with that right to an education, it's one of the reasons why the public school system is so important, why we must invest in it, uh, because even when students are expelled from a certain school, they have to have another space to go to in order to continue receiving that education. Though it may sound good to put a kid out of school A and send them to alternative school B, there are 
other issues that are developed often when students are introduced to people and places that may expose them to even worse behavior. And so we have to monitor that because even with alternative schools, you can't just put a kid in, a, in an alternative school and leave them forever. They have, there's a process of including them back into their reside schools. The bottom line is the public school system is responsible for educating all children. And because we're responsible for educating all children, and because we understand that sometimes children misbehave, we understand that children sometimes act out as a consequence of what they have experienced in their home environment, because we understand that some of the kids that we see at least 6,000 kids that we see in Jefferson County public schools every day are houseless. Some students don't have what we know as traditional parents. There's not a mom or a dad who's waiting on them. They live with a relative, and sometimes those environments are not always the most healthy. We know that some children are tremendously traumatized by their home environments or their communities, and all of that finds its way into our school buildings. And so restorative practices offers an opportunity to meet those students where they are, to see them as more than their bad behavior, and to give them some space to correct their behavior and to adjust in order to be successful in the academic environment. We don't have an option to put all children out. We don't have an option to put all children in an alternative school, and we shouldn't want to put all children uh, who misbehave in an alternative school. Also, when you suspend a child, one must be concerned about what the child is doing during the time of suspension. So when I was suspended as a kid, I went to my grandmother's house and I spent what however many days I was suspended I spent time at my grandmother's. She made sure that I completed the schoolwork uh, that was assigned to me over the course of my period of suspension. And she also ensured that I didn't get into anything sinister during the time that I would normally be in school. But I had a grandmother. Not every child has a grandmother. Not every child has an adult available to watch them and care for them during the time that they may be suspended from school. And I guess it's not a good thing for a board member to admit that he was ever suspended from school, but I got into things when I was, when I was school-aged, I really did, you know? And I, one time I remember I, I was suspended for protesting <laughs> and we marched out of the school building and the principal promptly suspended us for walking out of the school building. There were consequences for actions, but there are also other consequences that we may not see. So when we hear of kids hijacking cars in the middle of the day in certain areas of town when they ought to be in other supervised spaces, the school system has to think about its contribution to that. So uh, again, restorative practices helps to reduce some of that. It helps with the school system being uh, a good community partner and it, it sees students as more than their behaviors. You know, restorative practice, I think also gives students in that situation, the skills 
to deal with their conflict. Right. And that is that is so important. You know, resolving one conflict is one thing, but knowing how to deal with the next one is maybe even more important. Yep. I, I think you're exactly right. Like I said, the times that I've seen it happen in school buildings, I've learned how to be a better a better human being myself. Because we all have moments where we're not our best selves. We don't show up in the world as our wisest selves. And uh, we sometimes have to make amends when we have, have not done our best or lived up to our potential. I think restorative practices helps children to do that, helps expose them to ways in which they can show up as a better version of themselves. And really, it gives them a lifelong lesson of uh, addressing the pain that we cause, addressing ourselves and other people when there has been conflict. And uh, I, I think it, it gives kids a valuable lesson to take throughout their lives, whereas suspension or expulsion just sends a very punitive measure, uh, message that says, if you do wrong, you've, you're, you're a castaway. One thing I do as a board member is I spend time in some of our alternative schools. And, you know, I've talked to some of those children. Some of those children are tough kids. Many of those children have made bad decisions. And many times they make those bad decisions because of learned behavior. If your native environment is one where you must survive all the time and that has created a tough exterior where you're always ready for a conflict and regardless of where that conflict might arise your mentality is to survive it that creates a different type of child than the children who may come from a two-parent household who might get into a tit-for-tat with another child in school, but because they come from a warmer environment, their impulses and their learned behaviors are different. And so I think we have to take that into advisement. I would even go further as further to say that I think the, the school district can do better by even our, our alternative schools. I was in an alternative school on Friday, and it bugs me that uh, we make the students there look like we're preparing them for the penitentiary. I, I detest that. I detest the ways in which we other those communities in ways that don't always feel restorative and helpful. Many times those kids are in those spaces. And when I go, they say, can you tell them to tell me when my last day here is? I want to go back to my reside school. Why don't I know the date? And they often feel as if they're pawns in a game that people that they don't know are playing. And I think we can do a better job of creating a better environment for those students who are still learning and still growing. And while they're learning and growing, they're expected to navigate different and complex environments. I think that our school district should, should really think long and hard about how we go about that work, because even those children matter. I'm impressed that you uh, use the word children with uh, these students, no matter how old they are, because we know that brain development is not, not, not there totally until after age 20, I think 22. There's a pretty tough other question we want to get to, and that's the light. In light of the uh, over 200 mass shootings in America already this year, we are, uh, as in 
many cases looking for solutions to this kind of violence in schools. One recommendation to resolve uh, shootings in schools is to employ a security resource officer, sometimes referred to as SRO, in every school to provide more safety for students and staff. As of June 28th, there have been 27 school shootings this year. In 2022, there are or have been 919 school shootings uh, since 2018. When Education Week began tracking these uh, incidents, the highest number of shootings, 34, in occurred last year. There are or were shootings in uh, 2020, and 24 each in uh, 2019, 2018. SB1, we talked about earlier, passed in 2019, states school resources uh, officers, SORs, are to be assigned to each school funding permitted. Will this law force JCPS to, to provide SORs for each school? What's your response to the law and, and what plan would you suggest? Uh, my response to the law is that it's wrong-headed. I, I hate that we're dealing with a symptom and we're not dealing with the sickness. The pervasiveness of guns in our society is untenable and completely unhealthy to our shared well-being. But our lawmakers are not interested in taking guns off the streets. They're interested in putting more law enforcement in schools. I don't think it's a convincing argument considering what happened in Uvalde and in so many other places throughout this nation where even with armed security, even with law enforcement, mass shootings have been carried out in school buildings. So, with that being said, JCPS has done our best to live up to the requirements of the law and has developed our own security department in order to provide armed and unarmed security uh, for our buildings. It would be such a better world if our lawmakers would partner with us to ensure that the areas surrounding school buildings are safe as well. Yeah, the adult education program uh, uh, Jefferson County has decided to eliminate. So I don't know. It's not, it's not going to, it, it, that decision has not been made in finality yet. What has been decided is we have another year on our contract. We will evaluate the program again in maybe six months uh, or early or during the spring of next year. And then we'll ultimately decide uh, whether or not we bid for the contract again or whether we will not bid for the contract. Adult education is very important in our community, and it has to be in the hands of someone who is able to provide the attention and dedication uh, that it needs. Uh, the contract is awarded by the Department of Workforce Development, and uh, I think there are other ideas floating around on their part about how adult education can be administered and administrated more uh, effectively and efficiently. JCPS is one of a handful of districts throughout the Commonwealth that actually is the provider for adult education. And so, you know, we wouldn't be the only ones. JCPS has held this contract, from what I understand, since the early 60s. And we don't, JCPS has held the contract for so long that we don't 
even know how JCPS got the contract and why JCPS was elected to hold that contract for so long, but it is a part of our community's history and uh, we're weighing what's best for JCPS and adult education. Okay, so JCPS has not made a decision as of yet to to eliminate the adult education program. Uh, well, no, and I, I want to be careful that your audience really understands JCPS's position with this. It's not ultimately up to us as to whether we offer adult education or not, because the contract comes from workforce development. So workforce development gives us the contract and they also give us the funding to carry out adult education. They have the authority to choose someone else, another entity uh, to carry out adult education. Let's talk about the property tax increase here. The Jefferson County Public School Board voted to raise the property tax of Jefferson County residents by 4%. Did you support the tax increase? Why? Most certainly, I supported the tax increase. One, because it was a condition of the corrective action plan. You'll remember, I guess about four years ago, the school system was navigating through the corrective action plan. And one of the items that JCPS was cited for being released from the corrective action plan. Beyond that, I supported the tax increase because Louisville has failed to support its public schools. We are woefully behind as it relates to updating and upgrading our facilities. You know, when I hear people complain about the tax increase, I often, and they invite me into conversations about it and, and they say things like, why do you need new school buildings? Uh, you know, why, why, why do we need to increase the tax? I say, well, before you have that conversation with me, take a ride down to Lexington, look at their school buildings and then come back to Jefferson County, look at our school buildings, and then we can talk about why JCPS needs resources to update, upgrade, and downright build brand new facilities. Because so many, dozens of our buildings are at end of life. Dozens of them are at end of life. Far too many of our buildings don't reflect that this community cares about its children, or is willing to invest in their education. It's unthinkable that so many buildings have allowed to reach the point that they have reached, but for some reason that has been the decision that this community has made. And so this board with this superintendent, Dr. Marty Polio, has elected to not kick the can down the road any further. We have committed to putting up new buildings. We have committed to assessing every building. The issues that came out of COVID, one of the issues why Jefferson County had such a particular position in the conversation re COVID is because many of our buildings do not have great ventilation. Many of our buildings, many of our classrooms don't have windows that open. I have schools in District 6 where students are learning in converted closets converted closets. I'd love to show those converted closets to people who don't feel like we need new buildings that we need to invest in our facility needs. And so, you know, that's one of many reasons why I supported the tax increase, but we have a lot of work to do here in Jefferson County and we cannot do it without money. We cannot do it without financial resources. 
I would also say, you know, to people, so I, I've heard a lot about neighborhood schools, you know, neighborhood schools is such a, is such a, a rallying cry among the same people who organized in opposition to the tax increase. The same people who want neighborhood schools don't want a tax increase, but you cannot have neighborhood schools if you don't have a school or, or a high school and elementary school and a middle school in every neighborhood. Every neighborhood needs those schools. And we have far too many neighborhoods that don't have those schools. The reason why we have to build these new schools in the West End is because there have been many schools in the West End that have been closed and they are now, some of them are nursing homes and senior living facilities and all types of other things in the West End. Or the best of those buildings were turned into magnet schools in order to attract white people from the East End back downtown. So if you want to have neighborhood schools, you've got to build schools in every neighborhood. And from the estimate that we receive prior to the pandemic, I think, and I think that the estimate was somewhere around $2 billion if we built the number of schools that this community needs to achieve neighborhood schools. And we know that's untenable. And so by levying the maximum allowable tax rate, we are challenging this community to invest in its public school system by doing what I consider to be the basic investment that a community can make, which is ensuring that our kids have up-to-date, state-of-the-art, welcoming facilities in which to learn. Ashley Spaulding from the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy made the point with research conducted by the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, the Kentucky Policy Analysis Office is a state budget director and published on Kentucky Center for Economic Policy website. It demonstrates that SEEK funding, revenue provided by state and local sources for per-pupil expenditures, that research establishes the fact that states, the state portion of SEEK funding has steadily declined since 2008. So with the SEEK funding from the state, money from the state designed to fund our public schools, well, that decline, that is also a factor here, isn't it? The, the fact that the state is not contributing the funds that keeps up with inflation in terms of funding our public schools. Yeah, it, it, it is a factor. It is a factor. The state, they have, again, they have a lot to say about JCPS. They have a lot of legislation that they file aimed at JCPS, but one thing they're not doing is keeping up with inflation as it relates to SEEK, and they haven't done that since 2007 or 8. Well, we've talked about funding for a number of things, um, but according to a survey of its members released in February 2022, the National Teacher Association says and this is a quote, a staggering 55% of educators are thinking about leaving the profession earlier than they had planned. And that's an end quote. In the same month, Forbes magazine reported teachers are leaving for a variety of reasons, teacher burnout and low pay, lost aspects of the profession that they loved during virtual teaching and, and that of the district's response to COVID-19. But for a large majority of teachers, this is an opportunity to reevaluate their career. Teachers are realizing their skills are valued in a number of other roles like professional development, team leading, instructional design, and, uh, and, and to, just to mention a few. 
Again, in, no, in February, NPR reported more than a half of teachers are looking for exits. The upshot of this, this teacher migration is, of course, teacher shortage, and we've seen that in the news regularly. What is your response to the reasons for potential and actual exiting of teachers, and what's the result of this phenomenon in JCPS, and what's the solution, do you think? Who wants to be disrespected? Who wants to be underpaid? Who wants to be overworked? Who wants to not be able to spend adequate time with their families? Who wants to be tired all the time? Who wants to feel like they are perpetually in a fight? That's the state of our educators. They have been roundly criticized. People have played with their pension. People pass legislation that basically insinuates they don't know how to teach and they don't know what to teach. You know, they have been put in a position where basically they are told to shut up and teach whatever the state legislator thinks they ought to be teaching. They can find jobs that pay what they are currently pay, paid, and they can have a fraction of the stress. It's no wonder why there's a teacher shortage. I don't know that for many people, the juice is worth the squeeze. You can't keep abusing people and expect them to take the abuse. They, they just don't have to do it. In a world that is rapidly globalizing, I guess you would say, where I can live in Kentucky, but I can get a job in California with a company that's based in California, and I never have to move to California because I can work from home. In a world like that, what would make teachers stay in the classroom besides a love for children? And But sometimes even a love for children may not be enough for many of our teachers to remain in the profession. I firmly believe that until there is a restoration of respect for educators, you will continue to see people leave the classrooms. And I, when I say respect, I mean from students all the way up to politicians. Parents have to instill into their children a respect for adults and for those who give their lives to public education. Our politicians need to reflect a respect for teachers in their rhetoric, in their policy. Our communities needs to once again revere teachers for the investment that they make in, in our youngest citizens. That's number one. Second thing is you gotta pay these people what they're worth. We have a misguided politician here who sits on the city council who loves to argue that, you know, our teachers make more than what the medium income is for a citizen in Louisville. And the problem with that is our teachers, many of them have master's degrees. Some of them have two master's degrees. I was at the in the culinary class at Moore High School the other day, and the gentleman who was teaching the culinary class, a high school culinary class, had on his smock behind his name, EDD. He had an earned doctorate of education and we don't want to pay those individuals. So, you know, we've really got to increase how we compensate teachers. I also think that thirdly, the workload for teachers may be untenable. Uh, the paperwork just keeps mounting. We're not providing any administrative relief for teachers, which causes them to spend their weekends working, their evenings working. And it's no wonder why they're choosing to, 
to live their lives in different ways. They're choosing to, to do something else professionally that provides them greater work-life balance and just greater happiness and self-care. So Dr. Molly Polio is now in his second term as superintendent of the Jefferson County Public School System. Would you support him for a third term? What part of his administration would you like to see him change? I would support him for a third term. I would like to see him stay for a third term to really uh, fully implement the student assignment plan that he has has led the creation of. I would like to see him do that and to see to see that fully flower into what he has envisioned it being. One final question, Dr. Corey Scholl. Why are you the best candidate that is running for JCPS school board from District 6? <laughs> well, because one, at this point, I have demonstrated over the past four years that my central priority is that of students and staff, that I will fight for all children and all staff people, but particularly those who come from marginalized communities and vulnerable populations. I think I'm the best person for the job because I think I've proven that I am level-headed. And in this work on the school board, unfortunately, there's a lot to not be level-headed about, but you have to maintain an even hand and to be able to interface with the diverse constituency of this community. I think I have done a good job over the past four years. And I would like to continue to do that job in the service of this community. Well, thank you, Dr. Shaw. We greatly appreciate you joining us today. Thank you all for the invitation. Our conversation today has been with JCPS board member, Dr. Corey Shaw. We appreciate your joining us as we explore more solutions to violence, Dr. Shaw. Thank you once again for sharing your time and experience with our listeners here on WFMP Radio. Well, listeners, you can listen to Solutions to Violence live stream by visiting us at forwardradio.org and choosing Listen Live Now. We air Solutions to Violence on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. This program featuring Dr. Corey Show will be placed in our archives. To listen via our archives, visit us at forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, and scroll down to the Solutions to Balance program that features Forest Shul. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our discussion with Dr. Shul, you can reach us with the following email address, solutionsobalance18 at tml.com. Before we leave you today, we want to invite anyone who may be running for the Jefferson County Public School Board to appear on our program. We are happy to have you appear as our guest on Solutions of Violence. Just contact us at solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. My name is Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan. We want to wish you and yours wellness, safety, and peace. Until next time, please keep peace in your own personal way and help others do the same. Thanks for listening.